Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. We're back in Revelation today after a little gap last week. Uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 to 11, which is the letter to the church in Smyrna. I'm not sure how you're pro- uh, supposed to pronounce it, but I'm going to call it Smyrna. Uh, and that is thinking about the blessing of suffering, how actually the Bible transforms our understanding of what suffering is and the way that we should look at it as Christians. Just to remind you once again that there is a series going on on YouTube on the Ten Commandments and we're this most recent week we were looking at the Sabbath day. So if that's something that interests you, looking at the Ten Commandments and how we understand that as Christians, that's available on YouTube. The links will be in the description below. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, then you can become a Patreon, patreon.com slash understandthebible, or you can donate directly via direct debit through the Understand the Bible website. And the links for all of those will be down below. Thanks so much, everyone, and I hope that you enjoy. God bless. So one of the uh, one of the things which I think about as a, a church leader, and you know, there are conferences about this, is how you measure successful churches. You know how you how you define what a a successful church is, how to make a church more kind of successful. And um, I remember thinking about this um, not so long ago. I went to a church, which is not far away, and they had their own kind of printed, um, you know, stationery. There were pens and there were bags and things which were all, you know, printed up nicely. And I just thought, wow, you know, that's, um, they've got to be a successful church here, haven't they? You know, they've obviously got quite a bit of money, quite a few resources. Um, But you think, you know, is that... Is that always a sign of God's blessing? You know, a church that has money and resources, is that how we are to look at it? Are the churches that have the most money and the most resources the ones that are most blessed by God? And that's a good question to ask. Because actually what the Bible says is that God thinks about blessing differently to the way that we do. And that's what this letter is about this second letter, and I'm I'm going to say it's it's Smyrna. Um, you, I, who knows how you're supposed to pronounce it, you know? But um, for the sake of this, I'm just going to call it Smyrna. Um, so um, this is actually the shortest letter of all of the letters, the seven letters in Revelation chapter two and three, and this is uh, significant because there are only two letters which don't have a rebuke. Do you remember last, uh, not last week, the week before, in the, uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus, we saw that, every, that five of them have rebukes. This one and the, the penultimate one to the church in, um, in Philadelphia uh, doesn't have a rebuke. So that's quite a significant thing, isn't it, that these two churches aren't, don't seem to be doing anything wrong. Um, now, Smyrna, it was um, a town in... Um, uh, just I think to the north of Ephesus and it was devoted there was a, a big kind of worship of the emperor you know that in in those days um, you know that um, the early Christians said Jesus is Lord which we still say I think we lose the significance of that because in the Roman Empire they would say Caesar is Lord and there was much more of a worship uh, it's more like how it is today in North Korea actually and um, with this devotion to the emperor, and that was big in Smyrna uh, at that time. It was a wealthy town, and it was a lot of emperor worship uh, going on. 
So that's the context into to which this, um, this letter is written. And so it says, um, these are uh, the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Uh, do you remember that every letter begins with part of the vision from Revelation chapter 1? Do you remember we saw that back in chapter 1? Jesus talked about being the first and the last, who died and came to life. And I think it's significant, you know, every part of that vision, I think, is, you know, related to what's happening in that church. And here, the focus is, the emphasis is on his control of history, you know, Jesus's direction of history, the first and the last, and on his resurrection. And as we'll see, that will be a significant thing as we, as we go through. So Jesus, he says there in verse 9, I know uh, your afflictions and your poverty. I know. And I think he says this in every one of the letters, I know. He's saying, I know your situation. And I was really struck by that as I, as I read that, because I think we often, when we pray, sometimes perhaps you think this, you know, think, does God know what, what my situation is? Does God know what I'm going through at the moment? And actually what Jesus says is, I know. I know your afflictions. I know what you're going through. He always knows. And, uh, and, and every, everyone in every part of the church. And he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. So uh, this is a church that's suffering in some way at the moment. We don't know exactly how, uh, but they are being persecuted. They are suffering. They are struggling. But he says something surprising. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. That's a very surprising thing to say, isn't it? It's counterintuitive. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Now, what does he mean by that? That actually, in God's, in God's purposes, affliction and poverty can be a blessing. This is what James says, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So what the Bible says is that we need to look differently at testing and suffering and trials. We don't see them as the world sees them, and we don't see success as the world sees them. And what Jesus' letter says here is that actually earthly poverty and earthly suffering is, is richer than earthly wealth. It can be. That's the thing. So when we look around at uh, other churches, when we look around at you know, churches that are successful, in inverted commas, then I think we need to have our eye on that and say a successful church is not necessarily a church that has loads of money and that has uh, loads of resources, that has all the young people or, or something like that. That a successful church could be the most persecuted and afflicted church because they will be the most faithful. We need to change the way that we think about blessing. And he says, Jesus goes on to say, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, 
but are a synagogue of Satan. So it seems like as Jesus um, happened to him in his, uh, in his earthly life, the most vigorous opposition to the church and the most vigorous opposition to God came from the most religious, or the most, in inverted commas, uh, religious. This is what Jesus says in uh, John chapter 8, uh, verse 44. He spoke this to, um, uh, well, to the, the Jewish leaders, to the, the Pharisees and so on. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. You belong to your father, the devil, is what Jesus says to those who are opposing him. They were the most religious people, and yet they were the ones who were, who were most vigorously opposing him. And I think this is a good and important lesson for us to remember which is that not everyone who seems to be the most zealous in terms of their religious zeal are uh, the most Christ-like. In fact, are actually Christian. Um, Jesus warns of uh, false prophets and the Apostle Paul warned us of uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And it's important to remember that uh, those who may appear to be most religious are not necessarily the most devoted to God. Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. And that's what we need to look at. Is someone supporting what God is doing? Is someone uh, standing for, for God's work in the world? Is someone standing up for Jesus? Or are they opposing him? And it's not always immediately obvious when that is happening. So we need to have our wits about us. But it's, it's a good reminder that being opposed in this world is not necessarily a bad thing. And sometimes I think we, we think that a successful Christian life is the absence of any conflict. And a successful Christian life is getting on with everyone. And of course, the Bible does say, you know, in, in Romans, Paul says, as far as, it is, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But actually, sometimes being Christian Standing up for Jesus, standing up for the truth, means there will be people who oppose us from the world and even sadly within the church. That kind of thing happens. And we need to be ready for it. And we need to remember that it's not necessarily a bad thing. So um, then the, the letter, Jesus moves on. He says, uh, then verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. It's a long way from something which you sometimes hear. If you turn on these you know, TV shows, these Christian TV shows, um, you might hear, oh, God has got a wonderful plan for your life. And um, what they don't say is that God's got a plan for your life which will involve suffering and death. Um, it's a long way from that, isn't that, isn't it? Um, but that's the truth. That being a Christian means being ready to suffer sometimes. And that is part of God's wonderful plan. Uh, but actually, it's not, again, it's seeing things differently to the way that the world sees them. Uh, uh, but he does say, uh, you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, um, I'm not sure whether this is 10 literal days, whether he's actually referring to a specific thing, but it, 
it's clear from Revelation that Satan does have limited power. That the, the, the power that Satan has is, is it's like he's on a very short leash. And that whatever he does will only be, be temporary and it will not last. And I think that's the message that uh, Jesus is communicating here. That whatever happens, whatever suffering uh, undergoes, it is limited by God. But he says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life. So we need to remember, even at the point of, of suffering, even at the point of, of becoming a martyr, as some of these, these people would have been, we need to remember who it is who defeated death. We need to remember who it is that we serve, even in these situations. So as uh, Jesus says in, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, for example, Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus says we need to remember who it is that we fear. That we don't fear people who can, all the, the worst that they can do is kill the body. That's all that the worst that they can do. But we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we need to to look to him and to, to obey him at all times, even if that means losing our own lives. Now for most of us, uh, and perhaps for all of us here, uh, we're not called to be martyrs. Some Christians in other, other countries are called to be martyrs, but we perhaps don't have that calling. But we need to keep, be faithful, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, even if that means encountering opposition, even if that means perhaps losing friends, or perhaps, um, I, I heard, um, I was reading today of a Christian who um, lost their job because they, uh, their, their work colleagues didn't like their opinions. And that kind of thing does happen, uh, sadly, from time to time. It's not losing our lives, but it is, um, in a sense, suffering for Jesus, isn't it? Um, and then the, the letter finishes there. That whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So again, focusing on that um, each letter ends with a, something drawn from Revelation 21, from that vision of the future, that vision of the new creation. The one who is victorious won't be hurt at all by the second death. Thinking again, you know, as this church in Smyrna found, you may lose your life now, but actually think about the eternal future. Think about living eternally. So let's draw a few conclusions from, uh, from this passage then. What can we learn? What can we remember uh, for this week? I think it's really important to think about trials and think about adversity in a different way. That trials and adversity are actually in some ways a sign of God's blessing. Now that's something which is very different to what the world says, isn't it? You know, the world says that if you have a life which is comfortable, if you have enough money in the bank, if you've got a nice car, if you've got a nice house, then that's a blessing, then you're blessed. But actually, the Bible does say, you know, yes, those things are good, and we should be very thankful to God if we have them, but actually encountering adversity and encountering suffering can be a blessing. And we need to, to reconfigure 
our idea of blessing. We need to, to think a little differently about it. This is what it says. The psalmist says, Psalm 119, verse uh, 71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. It was good for me to be afflicted. It's funny, isn't it, you know, that how many people really say that and can say that? It was actually good for me to go through that time. There's a book called uh, A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer, and I know I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I think it's such a, a stunning book because you know, Jerry Sitzer, he, um, he lost three generations of his family in a one car accident. They were traveling back late at night. There was a drunk driver coming in the opposite direction. And uh, he lost his mother, he lost his wife, and he lost his youngest daughter, all in one, in one car accident. And um, he wrote this book a few years later to, um, called A Grace Disguised, talking about how good had come from it. And this is what he said. As strange as it may sound, I wish that every man could experience what I have, though without the acute suffering. Isn't that an amazing thing? I wish that every man could experience what I have, yet without the acute suffering. That's what he says, looking back and reflecting on what had happened. That the good, the spiritual good that had come out of it was actually greater than what would have happened if, if that, that terrible tragedy hadn't happened. We need to rethink how we look at suffering, how we think about adversity. This is what it says in Hebrews 12, uh, verses 7 to 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. A harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So although suffering and hardship, that kind of discipline, as a, a father does to a child, it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. In fact, it seems painful. And we know that, don't we? And yet, in God's caring and loving hands, it produces that harvest of righteousness and peace and that holiness. And I know that I can testify in my own life, and I'm sure we can uh, think of examples of our, of our own lives when we've undergone something which was hard, and yet there's been a blessing that's come through it in a way that was actually deeper than if it had never happened. And that's why God uh, allows these things to happen. That's why God brings us through these times sometimes, so that actually we can have that harvest of righteousness and peace, which we wouldn't have had otherwise. So we need to rethink we need to remember that the faith which has been purified by suffering is worth more than gold, is worth more than a comfortable life, is worth more than just having everything that we want whenever we want it. God knows that there are more valuable things than that. And what we need to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus and to endure.
and to press on and get that victor's crown. So let's take a moment to pray and ask God to help us as we, as we draw to a close. Let's ask him to see uh, suffering and persecution and hardship uh, in the right ways and to be able to endure. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you do see a blessing in a different way to, to we do. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to be able to see these things rightly, to be able to see our lives in, in the way that you want us to, and to be able to endure uh, suffering and hardship uh, so that it may produce that harvest of, of righteousness and peace in our lives. It may produce the holiness in us which you desire. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be more humble and more trusting in every circumstance in our lives. And you would help us to see you at work in every situation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.